You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. I don't know if any of you guys like movies, uh, but so you know, you're familiar with the actor uh, Denzel Washington. Um, he's one of my favorite actors. And uh, in 2002, uh, Denzel Washington, he did a movie called John Q. Any of you familiar with it? Okay, so those of you who aren't familiar with it, the, the premise of the story is this. Uh, he has a, a, a son who's playing baseball and collapses on the field. They rush him to the hospital, and they discover that um, he's got an enlarged heart, and the only hope for his survival is a, is a heart transplant. And so as the movie unfolds, we discover that uh, John, or Denzel's character, John, that his work status has recently changed, and his insurance will no longer cover a heart transplant on his son. Now, I, I, I did a little research about this, because this is some of the stuff I wasn't aware of, and so... I didn't realize that um, actually to be put on the waiting list for, uh, to, be like a, to receive a transplant, like a heart transplant, you have to show proof that you can pay for at least 20% of the procedure. So, in this, and actually for today, 2020, the, the procedure actually costs about, for heart transplants, about $1.4 million. Which means you have to show that you can cover and pay for $276,000 of that just to get on the waiting list. And if you can't, and so if your insurance doesn't cover that, you then have to figure out how we're going to pay for this. So I don't know what the amount was in 2002, but I'm, we know it was, it was still pretty expensive. And anyways, that's how the movie is like, he, that's not an option. And he, he's got his friends, and he and his wife, they sell everything, just about everything they can lay their hands on that they own and sell his friends, different things to try and, you know, help them raise money. And they actually get about a third of the money, but that's it. They can't get any more money. And the hospital is losing patients. You know, obviously, you got this, this tug of war, if you will, and they're no longer willing to wait for him to see if he can raise the money. And so they discharge the son and say, you know, take him home. Well, again, as the movie is playing, is that there's this ongoing stream of frustration after frustration after frustration. And, and no one's listening. No one seems to be willing to help. And out of options, John um, is tired of being pushed around, tired of nobody paying attention. He, run, he goes into the emergency room of the hospital pulls out a gun, and takes everyone hostage. So the emergency room staff, any patients that are there, and he holds them hostage try, until that someone would agree to actually do the heart transplant for his son. What an amazingly terrible situation to be in. You've done all you know to do. You've, you've done everything. Everything you know to do, and it's not enough. Not enough. And no one is able to help you. Or worse, no one seems really interested in trying to help you. And you're all alone. You feel isolated. And you feel like everyone's against you. Everything's against you. And what do you do? Well, interestingly enough, there's a man in the New Testament book of John who finds himself in the exact same situation. Exact same situation. His son's dying and nothing he does helps. However, instead of taking people hostage at gunpoint, he decides to track down Jesus. Now, if you were here last week, you'll know that we're at the beginning of a series that we're looking at the seven miracles in the book of John. 
And uh, this, today is week two in that, so we're still at the very beginning of that. Last week, the first miracle Jesus ever performed was he turned water into wine. And so we had a chance to look at that and understand that one of the things we talked about was the fact that Jesus is, does care about what might seem to be insignificant things in our life. I mean, the scheme of all the things that are happening in the world, turning water into wine, and you know, someone running out of wine at a wedding doesn't seem to be that big, but Jesus still cares and he still did something about it. We also learned last week that the book of John is very different than the other New Testament books, the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are known as the Gospels. And essentially, they're giving us the story, the history of Jesus. John's very different, however. And towards the end of his book, John tells us why his is different. He says, But these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So that's why he did. He told the stories not so much to give this day-to-day, point-by-point, you know, a specific timeline of all this life of Jesus. He said, I'm telling you some snippets because I want you to understand that who Jesus is. John didn't write his book to provide us with just the history. He wrote his book to make a point. And his point was this. Jesus isn't just a good teacher. He ignores he's just a moral leader in whom we can pattern our life. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. The seven miracles recorded in John that are given as signs to reveal who Jesus is. So after, last week after we had the, the wedding and turned the water into wine and after the festivities were over, um, you know, Jesus leaves Cana and he's, he does some traveling. He's in Jerusalem for a bit. And there's a few stories that happen in chapter 3. Um, and then towards the end of chapter 4, we pick up with the event I just described here a minute ago of the Father. So if you want to follow along on the screen or if you have your own Bible, in John chapter 4, beginning with verse 46, we pick up here. <clears throat> Once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time in which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea back to Galilee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the story of this encounter, this royal official with Jesus. And uh, Lord, there's, there's a lot that we can understand, a lot that we can get from this. And so Lord, I pray in the next few minutes that you would indeed help us. Lord, help me to communicate clearly. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to hear what you would like us to hear. And Holy Spirit, we invite you as well to speak to us as you desire. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, John believed that the miracles performed by Jesus were signs indicated that Jesus was the Son of God. So that's, for him, that wasn't just a cool thing to happen. It was evidence like this is not just a normal person. This is, this is the Son of God. Turning the water into wine tells us that Jesus can transform physical substance. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. So what's the sign of the story we just read? What's the sign that we, in this account of this royal official? Here's what I think it is. And we could probably have a discussion and probably have different ideas as what the sign might be. But here's what my thought was and my observation. Jesus doesn't even have to be in close proximity to heal someone. He just needs to speak the words. Distance does not limit his power. That's a pretty convincing sign if you ask me. It's a pretty good thing. What I find really interesting, however, in all of this is the behavior of the Father. And I'd like to spend the rest of our time taking a closer look at him and some of the things that he did. So what do we know about him? What do we know about this man? Well, the Bible tells us he's a royal official. Now, that tells us that he was part of Herod's court. Herod was appointed by Rome. Rome basically controls everything. But Herod was actually put as over, over that province or that territory and was referred to, even historically, if you look at extra-biblical sources, they refer to him as a king over that region. So, and we know given the time period here, or during the time of Jesus, that Herod Antipas, they had different Herods, was actually the one. So we, can, we know exactly what he was a part of. What we don't know is his role. Was he an advisor? Did he have, was he over sanitation? Or, you know, what was his role? We don't know that. Um, but we do know that he was part of the Herod's court. We can also guarantee that he, or we can also be certain of the fact that he was a, probably a man of high social standing. He was a person of influence and his, he had weight in society. He would have been wealthy. He would have had sus, substance and he would have had wealth. We also know that in his darkest hour, he set out to find Jesus. Now, we also know that Capernaum, where he was, where it says his son was, is about 20 miles to Cana, where Jesus had come back. So he's about a 20-mile distance. And we also know just the topography of the land and stuff, it's very hilly. Uh, So this is not just a flat shot, you know, down the road. If you're walking to 20 miles, it took you probably about seven to eight hours to get there. Being a royal official, he probably had a horse or probably had a cart or some type of a carriage or something that would get them there. So it probably took him a little less time. But it wasn't just as if he just ran around the corner, you know, just down the road. This was, this was an intentional um, trip that he had to take in order to try and find Jesus. <clears throat> we can only imagine the emotional state of this official. I mean, imagine as he's en route up to Canada trying to, and wondering, you know, if his son would die while he was gone. In other words, would, would his son last long enough for him to bring Jesus back? And even though it says he took Jesus at his word, you have to, he had to have been surprised by Jesus' response. He'd get up there, you know, Jesus, come with me. And Jesus basically says, no, go, your son's going to be fine. That was not the response he was expecting. And probably all the way back, he's wondering, huh, I wonder what I'm going to find. I know Jesus said he's going to be fine, but I don't know about you, but I'm for me, 
I'm still wondering, is it, is it hoping that, that it's in fact the case? But can you imagine the, just the emotional anguish that he's feeling throughout this entire journey, there and back? Again, John saw this story as a sign that Jesus was the Messiah. <clears throat> the story actually is about Jesus. But however, for our purposes, let's take a little closer look at this royal official to see if there were things that he did which might actually help us today. So a few thoughts. My first thought is this. Take time to look back. Take time to look back. By this time, Jesus had a reputation. Him, his, the knowledge and the awareness of him turning the water into wine was known. And, and I mentioned before that there were some, some instances of Jesus' activity between the water and the wine in this story. So Jesus' reputation was becoming known. And he was aware of what Jesus could do. That he was, knew that Jesus had turned water into wine. Now, turning water into wine is nothing like healing his son. But what if that was possible too? Um, when I was growing up, uh, there, there would often be um, Sammy stories being told. My kids love to hear it. And this, the, my parents, no, my mom and sisters are the only people that can get away with calling me Sammy, just so, so you know. Um, <laughs> let's make sure that doesn't go, because now that I've said that, I've just opened up the doors and it's going to be brutal here. So, but when I was young, there, there's some things that happened. Um, my dad, we lived in a small rural town in Minnesota, way up in the boonies. And back in the day, um, most of the farmers raised cows as if they had milk, but the milk companies actually would send a truck around with, with these trucks and you know, had the milk cans. You've seen the milk cans. They actually, that's what they were. And they'd pick up the milk, put it in the truck and take it to the uh, refinement place where it was processed and then, and then sold. My dad, actually, one of his jobs, when well, he pastored a church, one of his other part-time jobs to provide family was to drive around and pick up milk from farmers. And the truck that he was driving was not in good condition. And I was with him one night, apparently. I don't remember this story, but he said as he was actually going down the road, it was middle of winter, and as he went around the corner, putting on the brakes to slow down, the brakes gave out on the truck. And essentially, so in order to make it, he had to turn it hard. When he did that, the door, the passenger door where I was sitting flew open. Of course, those days, no one wore seatbelts. I went, I went flying out of the truck, you know, as it's moving and sliding this way. Easily could have killed me, Easily. But as the story's told, you know, my dad panicking runs over, finds out, and I landed in a, literally landed in a snowbank, you know, dusted myself off, and I was fine, never looked back twice, never thought about it as any big deal. So that's one of the stories. Another story I heard growing up was at one time when my parents were doing some refinishing of a piece of furniture, and somehow had left out a bottle of furniture polish, and uh, I got a hold of it and drank it. Don't know why. But apparently that's what happened. They rushed me to the hospital, and the doctors said there's really not much we can do. I don't, I don't, again, I don't know the full story, what the implications were. But there's a few of these stories, unfortunately, that uh, I did. Not to scare you guys. You'll be fine. River will not do any of this, ever. But here's, here's, here's what, I would hear these stories, and then I would hear this. God must have something very special for you, for him to save you, these, these many times, um, but in this way. 
So yeah, I understand the events and circumstances, but they, they always look... So I, even to this day as an adult, I look, not that I can actually look back and I remember that event, but I remember the stories. I remember hearing about what God has done in my life and even the things I can't remember, where God provided, where God did something very special and unique. And I think that's an important lesson that we can take from this royal official as well because it was the reputation, it was the history, it's what Jesus had already done that caused him to think, huh, maybe Jesus can help me now as well. See, I'm convinced that our faith is stirred through the miracles of the past. Our faith is stirred through the miracles of the past. Remembering the past is critical to having faith that God will help us in the present. And it gives us hope that he will also do so in the future. So put another way, remembering how God did work helps us to believe how God will work. So a second thought I have about this royal official. Don't be afraid to embrace times of desperation. Now, actually, if I'm really honest, I'm not a fan of this word embrace as we've used it here um, because embrace has a positive connotation. You're kind of giving a hug, you know, and so that's not what we're trying to convey. You know, hey, desperation, long time no see, come on over here. Um, That's not what we're trying to say. A better way for us, I think, would have been to say, don't run away from God in times of desperation. Don't be afraid. Here's what I know. Faith has the opportunity to grow in times of desperation. God has promised to never leave us or forsake us in times of trouble. He's promised to be with us through everything. As a royal official, he had every treatment known at the time available to him. He had had the resources. He could cover the premium to get on the wait list, the transplant list. He had whatever needed... I'm sure he's visited every doctor in the region. Every, every, he's probably tried every homespun recipe and formula and all the different things to try to bring healing to his son. We don't know what was wrong with his son, but we can assume that he has tried everything and the son has seen all the doctors and he's tried whatever was mentioned and tried, and, but nothing worked, nothing worked. And so in his darkest hour, the father set out to find Jesus. We would do well if we did the same. <clears throat> A third thought. Faith moves us beyond the emotion of the situation. Now think about this. <clears throat> the man's desperate. His son's going to die. He's just traveled more than 20 miles hoping to find Jesus, in fact, does find him, find, and he pleads his case. And he says he begged Jesus to come to him. All Jesus says is, your son's okay, go on home. I mean, if that was me, it's like, wait, wait, wait. What? That's it? That, that's it? That's all that's going to... Here's the thing. The way this story's told, the impression is that if Jesus was sitting at a table, he didn't even bother to get up. You know, they're just seeing dinner, so you just, you know, kind of, this is, a, this is a distraction kind of almost is the way it's portrayed. And yet, my life's in shambles and this is it, this is, I've done all this and this is all, really, there's got to be more. You would think that would have happened. I think it would have been very easy for the royal official to get really upset and angry with Jesus. How could you care so little about my son that you won't even try? 
given the emotions of the moment, it would have been understandable if he pulled, you know, if the royal official did what Denzel Washington did. Except instead of pulling out a gun, pulled out a sword and said to Jesus, you're coming with me, get on the donkey. You know what I mean? <clears throat> because that's the, that was the, the stress and that was the panic and that was where he was at. And that may in fact have been how the official felt, honestly. But that's not what he did, was it? He may have felt one thing, but he did another. Faith is not about what we feel. It's about what we do. John tells us that the royal official took Jesus at his word and left. Honestly, I think that's as much of a miracle as his son being healed. To be, as a parent, for him to say, to say hey, it's going to be okay, for us to actually just accept that and move on is just, is, is huge. <clears throat> the man had tried all he knew. He was at the end of himself, and in his darkest hour, he set out to find Jesus. Yet there was something about his encounter with Jesus that changed everything for him. When Jesus challenged what he thought should be done, you know, he thought he should come home with him and actually heal his son at his home. When Jesus didn't do that, he had a choice to make. Accept the words of Jesus by faith or not. Jesus said, go home. And that's what he ended up doing. <clears throat> the same is often true for us. Our faith is challenged through a call to action. It's not just having faith that sometimes calls us to actually do something that would often seem to be counter to what we think should happen. My first thought is this. Recognize the big picture. <clears throat> Why did John make a point of connecting the time the son was healed with the time when Jesus said your son will live? I mean, John went through great, in telling the story, he circled back to make sure he made that point and made that connection. And it was simply this. He wanted his readers to understand that the healing of the boy was just not a coincidence. No one could say that, oh, he just kind of recovered on his own. He just got better. But by actually saying, no, this was the exact moment, he was making sure there was no doubt that Jesus was the reason that his son was healed. And yet, I find it interesting, at the same time, John made sure to include the words of Jesus that seem a little out of place. Because Jesus says this, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. I mean, really, that, the dynamic there at that moment where you've got this father panicking, Jesus almost seems to be indifferent and even a little bit put out. Really, you people just, you, you're never going to be happy until you see more... You know, almost like, Ugh, okay, go. You're going to be fine. I mean, just the dynamic there. And again, I, I'm, 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 I'm portraying a possible scenario. I'm not saying that's what Jesus was feeling. I'm saying that's how the man probably felt it. If he was anything like, like, like me in that situation, that's how I would have been reading the situation. People, even people like the royal official, were seeking Jesus because they wanted something from him. And that's a problem. Our faith should not be based simply on what Jesus can do. Yes, Jesus cares about the little things in our life. He's willing to turn water into wine. And yes, the words of Jesus can cross time and space and bring healing. But our faith is not in the signs. Our faith should be in the one 
behind the signs. Our faith should be grounded in our experience of who Jesus is. Lastly, another thought, my last thought is don't be surprised at the impact of your faith. Verse 53 tells us, so he, the royal official, and his whole household believed. He and his whole household believed. Now notice it says that he believed after he got home. Earlier on, it says he took Jesus at his word and left. Taking Jesus at his word and believing are not the same. He took Jesus at his word because he said, all right, Jesus, I'm doing this because you're telling me to. I got to suspect that there was still a good bit of doubt. It wasn't until he got home and he saw and realized what had happened. Okay, now I get it. Now I believe. Here's the thing. The royal official, had the royal official not sought out Jesus, not only would his son have died, but no one in his family would have come to faith in Christ. Our faith in action has the power to influence the faith of others. So yes, difficult times come and challenges happen in our life. And some people actually see that difficult and they encounter that and they say, well, if, if this is happening, there must not be a God. And they actually turn away from God. And I think what this story is telling us is that, no, no, no. In these times, this is who we, this, these are the times when we should be working harder and diving deeper to find God. It's only when we do that that we actually encounter God in ways that we never would have otherwise. You know, towards the end of the movie with John Q, we learn that once the doctor agreed to perform the transplant, Denzel Washington's character, we realize his plan is actually to commit suicide in order to give his son his heart. So he lays down an operating table, pulls out a gun, and pulls the trigger. I like the royal official's plan better. In his darkest hour, he set out to find Jesus. What about you? This morning, we want to give you an opportunity to ask Jesus to intervene on your behalf. Whether it's physical, relational, financial, it may be prayer for you personally. It may be prayer for someone else. You're coming up to receiving prayer on behalf of someone else that you're believing for and praying for. And you would like someone to pray with you. And you would like to encounter Jesus this morning. We have people who would love to agree with you in prayer. So I'm going to ask if they would come. Paul and Susan and Dave and Jane, if you would come up. And we're, we've, we, we've got time. I actually intentionally cut a few minutes off here just so that we everyone else like, oh we gotta get out of here um, so uh, I just want to encourage you that if you would like prayer don't wait here's the other thing too I think the royal official he wasn't concerned about other people were thinking he wasn't thinking about his reputation he wasn't thinking about anything except finding Jesus finding Jesus encountering Jesus was the only thing that mattered to him so come as Julia plays and the rest of you just want us to remain just in, in a spirit of prayer, I just want to invite you to come now. And don't wait. Don't wait for we'll see what else is going to do. But if you want prayer, if you need an encounter with Jesus this morning, 
If this is a dark hour for you, come and see if we can find Jesus together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we don't have to take action like a Denzel Washington's character. But God, we have hope in you. And Father, I suspect that even within a group our size, that there are some who may um, be wrestling and facing something and, and didn't come forward, and, and that's okay. And Lord, you know what their need is. Lord, my prayer is that right now, wherever they're at, that you would meet them at their point of need. And Father, there may be the some of us for whom today is fine where there's no major crisis uh, but Father here's what we know is that in life there's no guarantees and there may be things around the corner that we don't expect and Father my prayer is that for all of us all of us Lord God that we would take to heart the, the story and the example of this royal official who in his darkest hour he sought out Jesus he went to find Jesus Lord, may that be our approach. May that be our um, intent as well. Lord, give us wisdom and discernment as we navigate life and that we would make wise choices. But Lord, in those situations that are beyond our control, may we find you. May we encounter you and may you bring provision for us, we ask. It's in Jesus' name I pray.
For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.